it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take a great universal creature and throw a shitty romance movie around it? Why, you get Revenge of the Creature. Everybody and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. And this week, uh, well, this episode, I guess I should say, uh, we're going to be looking at the sequel to The Creature from the Black Lagoon, the first of two, which is Revenge of the Creature. Now, this is a very odd film because, as you're going to kind of find out, I don't know if it needed, really needed to be a Gilman movie at all. I mean, it's kind of was made just to capitalize on the success and and what sequel honestly isn't i totally get it but truly to capitalize on the success that the creature from the black lagoon turned out to be now did they try to do anything different Mm, that's questionable to be honest with you you can watch the film or listen to the way this uh, podcast goes and you can kind of make your own thoughts i guess about it uh personally i'm not sure if it captures the same like awe and mystery of the first film now there is another sequel after this which is the creature walks among us and that one is just odd (laughs) it's it's really really odd and if there's a chance to do the third one of these um you know you may be hearing me talk about the creature walks among us but for now we're going to just talk about the revenge of the creature and i (sighs) The title itself, I feel, is a misnomer, and without really getting too much into it right away, I just feel like it's not really a revenge of sorts. Like, yes, there is revenge. I can see where the revenge actually happens, but I just don't know. Like, when you see the title, Revenge of the Creature, what do you think the movie is going to be? Personally, when I first saw this, I really thought, man, the creature somehow survived, which, of course, how can we have this movie The Gilman didn't survive? Uh, and this is where they use his name, Gilman, almost constantly throughout the whole film. But at the same time, I was expecting him to be like, oh, he survived and he's going to go on a spree or something. Maybe it's going to be shortly after. Maybe, you know, new people doing new things. Uh, but he wants revenge on humanity for what they did to him and how they treated his lagoon. And, uh, you know, he wants to make sure that the people that almost killed him, killed him. Or is this another creature? Like, is this his wife? Like, this is the Gill woman all of a sudden seeing her Gill man was slaughtered at the hands of mankind. And she's like, no, how am I going to have kids and a normal life? And how am I going to be all 1950s perfect? The Gill man is dead. I can't do this anymore. So she goes after the people, you know, and starts a whole killing spree or something. 
But it's not really that. It's something different. And I, and you can even, maybe I spoiled it with a little intro thing, but I'm going to say it right now. And you have to kind of think, look at it from this angle while you're watching it. Because while I was rewatching it this time, I kind of felt that this was a romance movie. Like, it's straight up, like, 50s romance. And this came out in 55. So this fits that kind of genre of, you know, boy meets girl or man meets woman or scientist meets scientist. And they randomly start hitting it off to the point that three weeks later they're already engaged. And it's like, okay, what, whatever this is. Uh, but it's, it's just absolutely nuts to me to think that this is the creature sequel that we got after the beautiful underwater shots and how graceful he moved and the, you know, the creature kind of like the King Kong-esque type of like the creature falls in love with woman. Uh, it's so beautiful that he can't just let her go and he has to have her for himself to whatever the fuck this turned out to be. And it's not necessarily my favorite. I still enjoy some great parts of it. And I think that there are other parts of this film that are relatively good. Um, but overall, I think the story kind of takes a hit, uh, in comparison to everything else that you had with the original creature film. Now, this one also doesn't hold as much sentimental value as the first creature film does for me, but it's still another case of, you know, the whole Universal Monster set really, it means a lot to me because of, you know, the relationships that I had with my grandmother, my grandfather, especially my grandfather watching these films. And, you know, it, it's still like, I get that kind of warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling when I'm watching the film, but it's not as strong as with the first film. Also, there's a special, like, guest appearance. It's not really guest appearance. It's the person's first film, like the first time that they were actually in a major motion picture. Uh, and it's really short, and we'll talk about it, but I remember, like, well, I was watching this again with my wife, and I'm like, oh my god, that's who that person is. Uh, and I was thoroughly surprised that, you know, that actress or actor is actually in this film. So, without further ado, let us go into Revenge of the Creature. So, the movie starts off again inside the Amazon, and we're reunited with one of the characters from the first movie, Lucas. He's taking a new boat into the Amazon to hunt for the Gilman once again, but he's kind of wary about going in there. We go to the Black Lagoon in the morning. I fix you some supper now. What are we having tonight? Oh, big surprise. What we didn't finish last night. <laughs> What I'd give for a tall, cold beer. Or a short, warm blonde. Gilman, prehistoric monster. Maybe there's no such thing. You find him, mister. I'll catch him. It doesn't look good for a conservative institution like Ocean Harbor to circus a yarn and then not to deliver. You're smart, you won't worry about it. There is a Gilman. We'll catch him. It's a phony. Well, his boss is out his dough. George. Hey, Lucas. Yes, Mr. Johnson? Ah, it's a crocodile. Huh. You think maybe that is it? Oh, no. The thing you are looking for can break that in two. No, sometimes I think all North Americanos are crazy. If he's dead, you waste your money. If he's alive, maybe you'll be sorry you find him. Yeah, there isn't a fish alive I can't handle. Who says he's a fish? <laughs> 
So, Lucas is back, and he's a little more wary about going back inside the whole lagoon, uh, compared to, you know, the first film where they were just trying to find some more information and really trying to be like scientists about the fossils that they found that may have lead them to some other type of creature or, uh, discovery that had never been found before. And then that's when they found the Gilman. It's weird that these guys already kind of know what's going on. Like, of course, I, I guess that the original scientists went back and told everybody what they found. And then you have these guys now that see it as, oh my God, this is an opportunity for us to make money. Because, of course, this is the way those films are going to go. And if we can exploit any type of ocean life that might actually be alive. And it obviously, at the end of the last film, the Gill Man is riddled with fucking bullets, okay? He is dead. He is dead as day. But then again, it cuts off right after they kill him. It's like, literally, he's dead credits. And then we don't know what else has happened. Like, if I was them, wouldn't you have maybe if you had killed it, taken it back so that you can dissect it, study it, figure out what makes the thing tick? But instead, I guess they just left it there and then told everybody, hey, there's this thing out there. Uh, why don't you guys go check it out? So they decide to uh, go in for the night. And that's when they have more discussions about what they're actually going to be doing there. Doesn't it ever cool off here? Never. Do you want to go back? Out of your service. Not till we get the, uh, the whatever it is. Then we'll go back. He won't rest easy till he's got it in the tank back at Ocean Harbor. What for do you want to do this? So uh, people can come and stare at the manfish to please some crazy scientists? For this, you're going to risk your lives? You said anything about risking lives. Job. Technical job. Oh. Maybe then you got a book that's going to tell you how to do this thing. Now, look, we're not paying you to make jokes. No joke. Tomorrow we're going to be in the lagoon. You will go down in the water. Then it's no longer time for talking. So maybe it's better we talk now, eh? I find it hilarious that these two don't even, like, think about batting an eye about going down there. Where Lucas here, he's just like, hey, I was there. I know what I saw. And, like... You guys don't know, you don't think it's anything. Like, they think the whole thing is possibly a hoax. Especially Joe. And Joe is kind of your rough and tumble guy. And they even go, like, as far as saying, well, last time, did they have equipment to capture this whole thing? And Lucas is like, no, they didn't. He's like, well, that's where we're going to succeed and why they failed. No, why they failed last time, they didn't even want to capture the guy. They basically went in, well, one of them decided that he wanted to capture the guy, and he paid the ultimate price with his life. And they would have known this. They would have known, oh, hey, you know, five people went down there, and only the professor and his wife and Lucas basically came back. And the one dude, I think he did come back as well. Uh, but the main, like, funder of the whole thing... He went down there, his ass was dead. Lucas lost fucking crew. Their asses are dead. And here we are like, nope, I'm still not sure if that thing's fucking real or not. We'll go there, and it may be a hoax. And Lucas is like, dude, it's not a hoax. And they're like, hey, it might be. Joe, are you fucking stupid? This is not a hoax. I saw the goddamn thing with my own eyes. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're just a simpleton. And and then you get one of the speeches I really like from Lucas. And I'm kind of upset that we don't get Lucas for more of the film. Because he was one of my favorite characters from the first film. And he's here. And I'm all excited. And I think we're going to see him for a long time. And you don't see him for very long. But he does get this speech. I'd like to ask you something. Uh, 
I'm not very educated person. This uh, Gill man, this thing I have seen with my eyes, it, uh, it doesn't belong in our world. It should have died out long before a man was born. Still, it exists. Why? Well, I'll try to explain it to you. Sometimes a species gets um, isolated in time. If the conditions are right, it reproduces itself without change, skipping a chapter of uh, evolution. Way back, there must have been some major link between marine and terrestrial life. It's just possible that this is it. Well, that's all there is to it. Mm. Now I tell you what I believe. This beast exists because it is stronger than, than the thing that you call evolution. In it is some force of life, a demon driving it through millions of centuries. It does not surrender so easily to weaklings like you and me. This is the thing that you hunt for. Think on it. And honestly, he's pretty much correct, right? Well, maybe there's some type of scientific jargon evolution bullshit that they're talking about here that might be true. But at the same time, you know, again, Joe has actually seen this fucking thing. And here we are. He's basically giving him a warning. Hey, if you want to go back, let's go back. Hey, people died. Let's go back. And they're just like, nope. We're just going to continue on. And you know what? You're a simpleton. And we totally understand this more than you do. But honestly, because he's had first-hand experience, maybe you fucking listen to Lucas. So in the morning, they go back. To, well, they actually don't go back to the lagoon. They go to the lagoon. And they suit up Joe in this really ridiculous, like, diving suit. Like, you remember that episode of Scooby-Doo? Or you remember the intro to Scooby-Doo? And there's, like, the fish tank thing? That's exactly what he gets into. And he, like, gets in that. Joe jumps into the water and goes looking for the gill man. And surprise, surprise, he does find him. And surprise, surprise, there's a struggle between them. And Joe barely gets out of the water alive. They have to scramble to get the helmet off. He's got a bunch of cuts. He, They say he's bleeding, but he's actually not. Like, okay, I get it. 1955, you know, he's coming out of the water. Makeup maybe is not so good. It's not going to hold. I get it. The makeup's probably not going to hold coming out of the water, but come on. All it is is that basically the suit is all tattered up, and, you know, he's still got the helmet on, but there's no cuts. There's no bruises. There's nothing. He just had a little kerfuffle in the water with him. By the way... I fucking love that word. I wish I could use it more. But so they have their little, you know, kerfuffle in the water. And he comes out. He's actually make it out alive. Uh, and we go to the next scene. And they decide that they're going to uh, just concuss him in a way. And how are they going to do that? They're going to drop a bunch of fucking dynamite in the water. And that really worries Lucas. I hope you ain't going to blow up my boat, Mr. Johnson. Like my wife, she's not much, but she's all I have. Don't worry. <laughs> There's just enough dynamite in these cans to stun anything below the surface. If that thing's alive, this ought to do the trick. On back to the reader. All right. So that seems to be the way they're going to capture the gill man, right? They have a bunch of dynamite that's in the water. It's not strong enough to blow up anything on the surface, only to concuss anything that's below the surface. Which, to me, makes absolutely no sense. Like, isn't it going to blow up some fish? Like... Wouldn't you, especially after they set it off, wouldn't you see a bunch of fish fucking rising to the surface? Or snakes, or maybe an alligator? 
But no, of course, it brings only the Gilman to the surface. What? What? How? That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> How do you use dynamite in a way that you basically only hurt the things that are underneath the water? Like, does it have, like, special properties that it only points down? Like, it's this is a fucking Mega Man game or some shit like that, where you, you have it and gravity has now been flipped for this one little area just because of the, you know, dynamite that's there, and boom, there's no real explosion on the top, but all of it happens underwater, and it happens to only focus on the Gill Man. Nothing else down there is dead. Are you telling me nothing? Not even the bottom of the boat? And I wouldn't be worried like Lucas. If it only focused on thing below the water, part of my what fucking boat is down there. So... If you're going to set this shit off, isn't it going to blow up part of my boat and then sink us all and kill us? Ugh. Anyway, surprisingly, it works. So they capture the Gill Man and they bring him over and especially surprises the rest of the crew. Well, no sign of him. Mm. Maybe this time we are lucky and he is dead, huh? <laughs> By golly, you're right. There he is. Come on, Lucas. Let's go get him. Always I have the bad luck. Sure you tie him up good. So he's in a coma, and they decide to take him out and bring him back to where else but Florida. Because if you're going to retire somebody, you might as well send them there. And if we're going to retire the Gill Man, we're going to send him into the Florida Keys. Maybe give him a Mai Tai. Maybe make sure he gets one of those, like, coconut things with the little umbrella on it. Or we're just going to throw him into, like, a fucking, like, Sea World. I know this isn't Sea World, but that's basically what they're going to do. They're going to treat him like he's the fucking Dolphin Show. And so, of course, once he's been captured, we get one of the many news broadcasts about the Gill Man. This is the first telephoto of the fantastic find received from Rio de Janeiro. The creature is in a coma. Has been ever since its capture in an isolated Amazon lagoon. Right now, it's being flown to Florida's famed Ocean Harbor Oceanarium, where the experts hope to restore it to consciousness. Movement of the creature has required some split-second timing. It can exist out of water for only a few minutes at a stretch. The capture of the Gill Man has created the greatest scientific stir since the explosion of the atomic bomb. Further information is anxiously awaited in colleges and universities throughout the world. Is the Gill Man really that impressive? Like, okay, yes, okay, I totally get it. But more impressive than the atomic bomb, which was man-made? Huh, maybe. I mean, he is a, like a, if you want to call it like a missing link to our past or whatever you want to say it is, but there's a ton of shit in the Amazon and there's definitely a ton of shit in the water that we don't even know why it's there or if it even fucking exists. Why I'm sure there's even a race of like mermen or mermaids or mer people or whatever, sea people, I don't know, down there somewhere way below the oceans just biding their time. They're going to come up and rise and figure that we've been making shitty fucking movies about them for a long time and maybe they'll look like the Gilman. The Gilman's going to be upset to the fact that, hey, there's these, like, movies about me, and I'm really a nice fucking person. I have a heart. I have a soul. And here you guys are, making these movies about me like I'm only going after women because I like their fine asses and big tits. Some shit like that. I mean, they got nice asses and nice tits, but seriously, I'm not just an ass and a tit man. I'm also a guy that loves eating women's brains. Don't you understand this? 
anyway, so we go over now to an academy somewhere out in wherever the fuck it is. I have a feeling like it was supposed to be California. I didn't write the fucking notes down, but where the fuck this university is. And we see that this woman is talking to a monkey and she's kind of training him. And I'm just like, huh. I remember in the 50s, a lot of these movies were really focused on monkeys, and I could never understand why. But here we are. They're looking at him. You know, she's teaching him how to do things. And then the professor shows up. And this is the professor that's going to be our main hero for the film. And that's Professor Cleet. Cleet Ferguson. Cleet. His name is Cleet. He's just two or a syllable away from Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel. Okay, I wonder if this is where they got that from. Anyway, so Cleet is there, and he's enamored with the monkey, too. He gives it a hug. The monkey really wants to obey him. And then he's called by somebody very familiar in the distance. Doc, didn't you say that among the lower animals there were no natural enemies, as long as they were well-fed? Yeah, something like that. Well, maybe so, Doc, but there were four rats in there when I changed my lights. Now there's only three. It's my considered opinion that rat number four is sitting inside that cat. Are you sure you fed them all this morning? Sure, I always feed them. I... How'd he get in here? Well, holy shit. Guess who that is. I'll give you two seconds. Okay, did you get it? Maybe I didn't give you enough time. But... I probably also truncated some of the sounds out of here, so if I did wait two seconds, I didn't give you enough time. But, if you don't recognize the voice, okay, it is pretty young. And this is, again, this is 1955, so we're talking about a very, very young gentleman uh, who has had an argument on a stage with a chair, who was the mayor of Carmel, who... Wondered if somebody's day was lucky, if they felt lucky enough. Well, did they? Probably not, because there was at least one more bullet in that chamber. Yes, it's Dirty Harry himself, Clint Eastwood, in his first, like, really theatrical on-screen role. Least that I can find, or at least what a lot of things reference on the internet, and, you know, sometimes the internet lies. I can't believe the internet lies, but I think it's close enough to say that this is actually true. But this is one of the first times that I can even think that I've seen him as young as he is. And he really kind of looks like a young David Bowie. It's really weird. Like, I looked at him like, that's, that can't be David Bowie. Because that's like, that's David Bowie like a little bit before Labyrinth. But, you know, maybe it's like Ziggy Stardust era David Bowie. Um, but it's very odd to see him just in this role. He's just a random scientist to, to be the butt of a random joke because he's got the rat that he thinks is missing is in his pocket and not inside the cage where the cat and the other mice are. Well, after we get that little comic interlude and we get uh, to talk a little bit about Clint Eastwood, Cleet's little uh, errand boy comes in and he lets him know what they found and brought to Florida. Cleet, here's the most important news, the, the greatest scientific find since the Peking man. What you got, Mac? Someone unearthed a natural blonde? Here. They've captured that Devonian relic Dr. Reed reported last year. You're kidding. Know what I think? I think you should be thinking about going down to Ocean Harbor. You wouldn't have any trouble. They know your work down there. Cleet. Cleet, you could be the first man to scientifically study a creature that, by all the laws of nature, should have died a quarter of a million years ago. Where are you going? To ask the dean for a leave of absence. What else? 
Some focal won't study the gill, man. Then again, some focal likely the professional. Yoko, I don't know if he's really one, but that just rhymes. Anyway, so there's something in that conversation that I did want to touch on that I didn't touch on on an earlier conversation, and it's come back up, and it has to deal with a blonde woman. Like, in the first one, he's like, go home to a warm blonde. That was Joe saying that whole situation, which is ridiculous as it is. Like, it's so, like, 50s, like, stereotypical like, talk about women type of thing. And again, this is just a, like, a thing of the times, okay? So, this shit happened, whatever, it's a part of the fucking movie, fucking deal with it. But, it's funny to look back on it, and to see that conversation, and then with this one, it comes out like, oh, what'd they find? A blonde that's actually natural in America? And then, who the fuck shows up later, which is the blonde, that is Miss Dobson, which we'll get to a little later on in the movie. So it's weird that they're talking about how, oh, we're going to see all these blondes, or we're real blonde, oh, I'd like to stick myself in a warm blonde. Well, you know, I'd like a hot, warm blonde. Oh, boy. That's that's so terrible. It's absolutely terrible, like, when you think about it. Like, it's a way of them doing innuendo without anybody really noticing, right? Unless you've got a really dirty mind, like I do in 2018. So, Yep. That's the way we're going with it. He's looking to stick his dick inside a blonde. So, he, Cleet, flies off to Florida. And that's where we arrive at the whole Florida-like sea world, whatever this place is called. And the Gilman, he happens to still be in a coma, even when they're taking him off the ship. Right, I got some bad news for you, Mr. Foster. The Gilman? Yeah, been in a coma ever since we captured him. Well, he's still alive. There's just about... Look, Joe, you can't do this to me. Why, I've got every man, woman, and child in the civilized world waiting to meet the Gill Man. The hotels are booked for 50 miles around here. I've got the radio, the TV. Louis, uh, speeches aren't going to do any good now. We'll put him in the receiving tank. We'll see what happens. Come on, let's get rolling, Mac. Okay, Joe. So this is really fucked up. One, how is the Gill Man still not awake? Like, he's still alive, right? He managed to get into a coma. Or maybe he's just asleep or something like that. But he's been able to, like sail across the ocean okay i get it it's kind of like wavy and you've been in water or whatever who cares uh but like when they get there and they're doing all this stuff they're making all this noise and you think that maybe he might come out of the coma especially how easily he does later on and even when they do that which again i don't want to get ahead of myself but even when they do that it's kind of ridiculous that it takes him a while to even fucking wake up so from here we go over and we get another like News flash where they talk about the Gill Man and what he's going to be used as. I suppose we might describe this, ladies and gentlemen, as the creature's official entry into the 20th century. Here at Ocean Harbor, it will live, if it lives at all, and become the object of scientific study. The question now is whether Joe Hayes, the man who captured the creature, will be able to bring it out of its comatose condition. He's waiting for it now, alone in the tank, apparently showing no sign of fear as his arms reach out. Okay, so Joe does a lot of things, but they mostly involve the fucking tank. Like, every time I see Joe, he's either jumping in or out of the water. Like, that's the only thing that Joe is fucking good for, is basically getting in the water and wearing his, like, short, short, short shorts. Like, I know some people, they like short shorts, we all like short shorts, but you know what, these short shorts are just a little too short short, if you know what I mean. So, they're bringing the Gill Man into the water, but this time he's not in the short shorts. He's in, like, a whole, like, 
diving type of outfit. I don't know what the fuck he's wearing. He looks like he belongs in the fucking snow with the rest of the cast from The Thing. But yet, he's in the water with the Gillman, and he's going to start trying to revive it. On the outside, this is where we meet Mrs. Dobson for the first time. And Mrs. Dobson is also... Uh, I hate to compare her to this. But honestly, it really feels like she is exactly... Have you guys ever seen uh, that one James Bond movie? I know, there's a lot of James Bond movies. But I believe it's The World Is Not Enough, uh, where fucking Charlie Sheen's ex-wife, who I can't fucking remember the name of as I've been trying to do it. Oh, look, Denise Richards. <laughs> I just remembered. Denise Richards, she plays like a scientist or some type of bullshit like that. I, maybe it's Tomorrow Never Does. I don't remember which one it was. But you looked at her and you're like, there's no fucking way that she's a fucking like nuclear engineer or whatever the fuck she was. And you're like, yeah, sure. Denise Richards, like airheaded actress Denise Richards, allegedly airheaded, um, is some massive fucking like nuclear physicist that's going to help save the world with James Bond. No fucking way. And that's kind of what I get when I hear Miss Dobson speak, especially when we're first introduced to her. Ladies and gentlemen, I have here Miss Helen Dobson, one of the prettiest young ladies it's ever been my pleasure to interview. Miss Dobson was a science major at Belmont University in Texas. Now, well, perhaps I better get her to explain it to you. What brings you to the oceanarium, Miss Dobson? I'm here to gather material for my master's thesis. I'm studying ichthyology. Ichthyology? That's a dead dollar <laughs> word. How about explaining it to us? Well, ichthyology is the study of fish. I see. I notice that Joe Hayes out here has the gill man down in the water and he's walking him around. That seems to be a strange thing to do. Is there any particular reason for it? Well, that's the way they revive sharks and other large fish. And since this creature has gills, they're using the same method. You see, walking forces water into the mouth from which it flows over the gills. Um, as the water traverses past the gills, fine blood vessels on the surface of the gills release the carbon dioxide and pick up a dissolved oxygen from the water, which exits from the fish through the gill slit. I see. Well, do you think it'll work in this particular case? Well, I'm no prophet. Well, thank you very much for talking to us, Miss Dobson. Okay, so one, they approached her because she was beautiful, and they know she is. She's only going for her masters, but for some reason, everybody knows exactly who she is, because she's some sort of, like, high-profile master student or fucking, like, I don't get it. You know, she's studying to write her thesis for her master's, which means that she hasn't gotten her master's yet, and she's not yet a PhD candidate, so she's just a graduate? A graduate scientist? Now, okay, uh, we'll, we'll take that at fucking face value for whatever it is. But it's just a fact, maybe I think about her in the way that I think about her, one, because of her voice. It's got that very, like, 1950s, like homemaker like type of voice i don't know exactly how to explain it like i'm pretty sure she's gonna be telling me how i need to make this betty crocker cake in just a minute but at the other like moment it's the way that they treat her as well like look at you you pretty young thing like she's just an object of desire again that oh my god can you please explain to us what this means like he knows what it means he knows what if theology means or whatever the fuck it is but he's just like trying to humor her oh yeah dear i'm pretty sure you understand but we want to just make sure that you know exactly what's going on and maybe that's exactly where i'm kind of like uh this kind of sucks 
and the way that they're writing female characters in the 50s. Again, it's the 50s. I can't fault them for doing whatever they're doing. You know, it sucks maybe with the way the characters are written currently. But at the same time, there's nothing that I, I should be mad about because this character is there and she's done this way. Just take it at fucking face value and then we can fucking move on. She's the fucking Denise Richards in a Bond film uh, as a scientist that studies fish in this film. So we can move on from there. So whatever Joe is doing actually does wake up the Gill Man. He's basically taking, like, the body and, like, running it along the surface of the water. Like, literally, like, remember when you were a kid and you'd have, like, your flotation thing and you'd try to see, like, how fast can I spin this thing? Like, you had the whale, right? If you were lucky enough to have those riding whales, those inflatable ones, like, your dad could actually blow that thing up and not run out of fucking lung pressure like somebody's fucking dad. I mean... Uh, anyway, so you had one of those and you could grab onto it and you either ride it in the water or you could take it and you can grab by the handles and then you like spin around really fast. Well, basically imagine like, or your dad, if you were riding it and your dad was nice enough to grab it and then slowly move it in through the water, you know, with you on toe of it, you know, that's kind of what he's doing with the gill man. And eventually he does wake it up, but Fucking A is it pissed. And he starts attacking everybody. And Joe and everybody jumps out of the water except for one guy that he manages to kill. And nobody really cares that this guy got killed. Because he was probably like, you know, Tom over there. And Tom's a fuck up anyway. And whenever you tell Tom, look, don't overfeed the fucking Mogwai. And then he fucking does that at night. Wait, wait, wrong fucking movie. Wrong movie. But seriously, Tom's a screw up. And he's always overfeeding the fucking whales. He's always overfeeding the fucking dolphins. Like, the dolphins don't want to fucking jump anymore because Tom, he's an idiot. So you're like, okay, Tom got killed by this thing because Tom doesn't fucking pay attention to whatever the fuck is going on. So he supposedly dies or whatever it is. Uh, and then Joe, like I said, he jumps out of the water to jump back into the water to stop the gill man, which he does. They wrap him up and then they take the gill man over into the next cage. The other thing is, is we can't really front the Gill Man for going all fucking crazy because in one moment he was being attacked underwater in his lovely fucking Black Lagoon. Then he suddenly appears in fucking Florida and he's like, I don't want to be in this fucking place. There's too many fucking old people. Why couldn't you take me to a nice place? Like take me to the Gulf Coast of fucking Texas. Or you know what? You can take me to fucking California. Take me to the Bay Area because the water is always the fucking same. Though it's kind of freezing down there. Maybe you'll take me more over to like Washington State. Or fuck, take me to New York. Put me in a fuck big metropolitan area. Maybe I can fucking learn how to live on land, get a job, get some kids. But no, you take me to fucking Florida outside of Jacksonville nonetheless? What the fuck is wrong with you? So he's really pissed off that he's got to be down there and be in fucking Florida. And so he's attacking everybody. I'm totally okay with that. Like, go to get your fucking anger up. But they end up wrapping him up inside of a net and they do take him over into the next area. When they do that, they attach like a shackle to his leg and then chain him to the bottom of the tank. So he can't, he can get to the surface, but he can't really get out. He basically can only swim so much. So now that he's tied to the bottom of the tank, what of course is the next best thing that you can do? Why? Let's try to make money off the creature. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Ocean Harbor. On this, the first day of public exhibit of the world famous Gilman. We suggest that you enjoy all of the sights the Oceanarium has to offer. Once you've seen the Gill Man, please move on. Give the other folks a chance. 
Our attendants will be pleased to answer your questions as you tour the wonders of the deep. Yeah, the wonders of the deep. Everybody is only going there for one fucking thing. You're like, make sure that you go over and check out the sorry-ass dolphins, even though I know you're here for the fucking gill, man. You're making the dolphins feel bad. Like, they trained all this time, they only get so much fish, they live in a cramped fucking environment, and you're gonna spend all your fucking time with the gill, man? Fucking go over and see those dolphins, you asshole. So, they, we do get to see Cleet. He is underwater and he's using a really old ass camera to film the gill man. We also see that Mrs. Dobson is down there and they meet for the first time. And of course, man, my man Cleet thinks that he's super smooth. It was a real break finding you here. Look, I'm not one of those specialists who fails to appreciate the other fellow's feel. Although personally, I think we're over specialized. Why, it's getting so we have experts who concentrate only on the lower section of a specimen's left ear. <laughs> well, I must tell you, I know something about your work. And I was quite impressed when I heard you were coming. You're not at all like I expected. I'm glad it disappointed you. It, is he really fucking hitting on her? And is she really fucking hitting on him? Like, what did she think he was going to be? Like, oh my god, this guy is really into fish. Like, she thinks he was like a fish fucker or something like that? Like, oh, your paper was really interesting, but I was worried about that one sentence you put in there. Well, when you think that the opening's big enough, you can stick your dick in it, you do? Like, that wasn't a part of the fucking paper. Like, what the hell is going on here? What, what is, what is fucking starting in my fucking creature movie? What is this bullshit? Like, I don't, I'm here to watch the creature. I'm here to see what you guys can do. I want underwater really cool things to go on. I don't want you guys to start falling in fucking love. What the hell is this bullshit? And yet, it still continues. Now I'll start all over again. Miss Dobson, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Well, I haven't thought about it, sir. Then that's it. Now, where are you staying? At the Star Motel. Great, so am I. Hey, Professor! Wait for me! Uh oh, I've been afraid of this. That Joe Hayes is an A number one wolf. Avoid him. It'll be difficult, but it can be done. Well, aren't you going to wait for him? What? Let Mr. America cut into my cake? What's the matter, old timer, Poopa? <laughs> Shouldn't walk these brain boys so fast, Helen. They can't take it. You know, strong upstairs, but no stamina. It's good to see you, Cleet. I heard you were in town. You too. I uh, understand you're going to be here for a couple of weeks, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's tough. You won't have a chance to enjoy the good things in life. And what are you doing for dinner tonight? Well, I, uh... Uh, sorry, Joe. She just made a date with me. Didn't you? Well, I... Well, yes. Oh, but you can join us, Joe, if you want to. No, thanks. I'll give the professor his chance. I don't like to take advantage of amateurs. See you later. Oh, fucking snap, Joe. You really fucking got Cleet. I mean, I thought he would have already gotten got because his name is fucking Cleet. Not a, you're fucking Joe. There's so many things with this scene that, one, don't need to be anywhere near this fucking movie, but two, make me fucking laugh when I hear it. First, Joe, the fact that there's this, like, dichotomy between Joe, who is like the jock, and Cleet, who is like the nerd. And she seems to be actually a little more interested in the Cleet thing. And Cleet's just like, oh, 
fuck, there's the fucking jock. I'm glad I got my fucking first strike in, but we better fucking move because when he comes, he's going to make sure that he fucks the shit out of you and I won't have a fucking chance. And then Joe shows up and Joe is just like, man, you know about these nerdy guys that got everything up here, but they ain't got no stamina down there. Meaning he's talking about his dick. Like he can't fuck is what he's saying. Like maybe you're going to love him for his brain. Maybe he's going to make a lot of money, but who's going to give you the good dick? It's going to be me. So maybe, you know what? I'll give him his shot because I'm pretty sure once you're done with that idiot, then uh, I'll be able to rock your world whenever I want and then leave you on the side of the road begging for more, but I won't come back because I got more women to hump. Like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And then even she's just like, when finally, you know, he's like, nah, I'll let him have it. Let, let him get his little bit of something, something. Then she goes... Well, you can come along if you want. Bitch, you're gonna try to cock block him already? What the fuck? Like, are you worried that something else is gonna happen? Are you worried that, like, it's not gonna go the way that you want? Like, are you really, truly worried that there was a line about him fucking fish inside of his, like, thesis paper? So, you're worried that he's gonna be more interested in the fish than you? He's gonna fucking Troy McClure your ass? Uh, What? Whatever. Uh, so... They decide to go off, so Joe leaves them alone, and then Helen and Cleet, they go off to the dolphin exhibit, because of course, they're also feeling bad, you know, the dolphins need love too, and we get to watch Peppy, or Flippy, or Floppy, or where the fuck the dolphin's name is, do fucking tricks. Two minutes of fucking dolphin doing tricks, and you know what the dolphin can do? That dolphin can actually catch a goddamn football, like the fucking Miami Dolphins, who lose every fucking game I place on them, I mean... Um, they got a much stronger wide receiving core if they added this dolphin to the team. That's what I'm trying to say. So he's back there, and then there's this dog named Chris that shows up. And I wanted to put the clip in, but you know what? Fuck it, I decided not to. Because she starts talking about how the dog was her first boyfriend. And then, you know, he starts thinking maybe she's going to go all Troy McClure on him. Uh, and <laughs> totally go, and instead of it being fish, she's gonna go off and fuck that dog because she called it his, her boyfriend. Like, what the hell is going on with this movie? There's already, like, bestiality and fishiality and fatality probably in one second that's gonna happen. Uh, and then maybe there's gonna be a friendship and a babality at some point in this movie. Pretty sure the friendship is going to happen. Yeah, you know, I'd be love it to see that the Gill Man comes out and big rainbow hands and the friendship thing pops up and Cleet and him go off into the sunset and go to find mermaids to fuck. Anyway, enough with the fish fucking. So she talks about the dog like really that is her boyfriend but instead it's like the dog really it was attached to her and doesn't leave her side his name is chris which is pretty funny and honestly i like human names for dogs i, I don't know why all my dogs except for one of them uh <laughs> all the dogs that i've had have always had human names except for that fat one that's sitting on the couch right now uh just staring at me wanting more food no fatty no fatty you cannot have it so they continue to talk and eventually she starts to wonder about dolphins and the language that they possibly can speak. If Lippy gets any smarter, he'll start talking. He talks all right. We're just not smart enough to understand him. Hi. 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 You think Chris is smarter than Flippy, Professor? Mm, I doubt it. A porpoise has a very large and well-developed brain. In fact, his intelligence lies somewhere between a chimpanzee and a dog. How smart is the gill man? Well, that's what I'm here to find out. What his reflexes are like, his behavior pattern, his capacity to learn, his response to stimuli. 
Oh, it sounds exciting. I hope I'll be able to help. Thanks, I'm sure you will. Again, we're talking down to the females in the goddamn movie. I'm pretty sure that I'd be able to help. Well, I'm pretty sure that you will, little girl, even though you have boobs and a vagina. Hey, hey, think you're going to help the scientists? Probably not. Probably going to be captured by the kill man. Huh? 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 Anyway, so it fades over to the next day, and they're lowering like a speaker box into the the water, and basically testing, testing to see if the gillman can actually hear them. They take a cattle prod into the goddamn water. A bull prod actually is what they take, is what they say they take at least. And they begin trying to like condition the gillman, and it's kind of fucked up what they're doing. Like they're basically tempting him with food, right? So for some reason the gillman will eat what they feed them, and I guess which is like fish or some shit. Like, you see him being fed once, and then they bring down this time, like, the picnic basket. Like, he's fucking Yogi Bear or some shit like that. And they've given the picnic basket, and then he goes to grab the food, and when he goes to grab the food, he fucking shocks him with the bull prod. Like, how fucked up are you? I would be wanting to get revenge on you, too, if this was fucking happening to me all the time. And so... We see them, both of them, this is Helen and Cleet inside the water, by the way. And honestly, I feel like a lot of this movie is a way to get Helen into a fucking bikini at some point. Like, hey, we're going to figure out how to get you wet, and this is the 50s, so it's not really skin tight, but yet we still kind of can see your nipples through there, at least once or twice. Not very often, but you know the way that it is. Uh So, basically, he's like, okay, I want to like get him to do it, because he's saying, stop, stop, stop. Every time that he goes to, like, get the food and he hits him with the cattle prod. So he's basically conditioning him to stop when he says stop because he thinks he's going to get the fucking cattle prod again. Or bull prod, I guess they're saying. I don't know what the difference between the two of them is. Maybe because the fact that this is so far away. I also don't know. It looks like a fucking, like, miniature Tesla coil or some shit like that. Like, lightning should be coming out of the sides of it. Like, if he actually tries to use it, it should shock everything in the pool, including them, killing everybody. I don't know how the current doesn't flow through the water, but again, I'm not a scientist, so I don't fucking know. I'm a fucking podcaster that talks about horrible horror movies. Uh, so, he has her basically kind of, well... To me, it sounded like, well, go jiggle your tits over there and bring them closer. But she's he's like, jiggle the cage. So has her go jiggle the cage some more and does a couple more things until eventually the gill man does actually stop. And so they leave for the day. There's a little more flirting. And then we go to the next day where they decided that they're going to knock the gill man out. And what they're going to do is they're going to kind of like poison the fish, right? And not poison it, but put in like you know, NyQuil into the fish. And give instead of giving him a nice cup of NyQuil so that the damn Gilman will shut the fuck up and just go to sleep and stop fucking crying all the goddamn time, you know, they just give him the fish that's doused with all this stuff so that he can fall asleep and so they can attach some, like, diodes to him and actually learn about the electrical signals of the Gilman. Hey, uh, what goes on here? Oh, well... Every second, millions of electric impulses leap from one cell of the brain to another, making our minds and moods what they are. You see, those wires on the gillman pick up these impulses and register them here on the chart. Yeah. Naturally, we'd learn a lot more about the creature if we could test him while he was awake. Well, my dear girl, everybody knows that when you're asleep, the brain stops working. No more so than the heart does. The brain waves become irregular, like those of the insane. You mean uh, I'm crazy when I'm asleep? <laughs> no more so than when you're awake. 
okay, that's kind of a dick thing to say to him, but nonetheless. So they basically are doing all of these tests on him. And the first time that they do, before they do this, he does try, to, the Gilman does try to break free, but he doesn't have the strength to actually break the chains and get out of there to go chase. He also becomes enamored once again with our women. And again, it's probably because she's hanging out in that fucking bikini all the time, and maybe underwater he actually can have, like, you know, see the nipples or some shit like that. Or maybe the Gilman has, like, x-ray vision, and he's, like, checking out the goods, and he's like, yep, I want me a piece of that. In fact, there's one scene where he's, like, looking at Helen, and it's almost like he's looking at her say, hey, I have a cousin that fucked one of your kind once. You know, he got away, he lives comfortably with her somewhere, turned her into a fish. But hey, you know what? We could have the same experience if you just let me in. Let me into your heart, Helen. You know that we're meant to be. So after a much long testing montage, we see Cleet and Helen working in the lab. And they're trying to compare basically what seems like blood samples between the Gilman, humans, and fish. And this is what Cleet comes to the consensus of. Red corpuscle content, only 10% less than human blood. Unnucleated structure. No correlation with a fish sample. It's amazing. Every test, every reaction, it just misses being human. So what we're finding out that the Gilman is like basically kind of part human or somewhat humanoid. Like he's not exactly a real boy. But he's not exactly Pinocchio at the same time either, right? So he's got fish qualities, he's got man qualities. He's a gill man, right? Gills, man, gill man. That's how we get to this, like, nice conclusion here. So we cut to the next day and we see that they're laying on the beach and they're enjoying the sun. And I guess they're dating now? I don't fucking know. But they're seeing each other exclusively during their time off and there's more of that weird romance bullshit. Nice to get away, lie in the sun, be like other people. Strange talk coming from a dedicated scientist. Have you forgotten your mission in life? I'll be leaving soon. I'm going to miss you. You know, sometimes I, I wonder how I ever got started on all this. Science, fish, ichthyology. Where will it all lead me? As a person, I mean. Most of the kids I went to undergraduate school with are already married and have children. Is that what you want? I don't know. I... I just don't know. But surely you must... But what do you want? Well, it's different with me. I'm a man. I don't have to make a choice. But I do. It's tough on you gals. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just a fact. Doesn't seem right. But you haven't told me what you want. What you want most, I mean. I'd like to know before I leave. You become important to me. Very. Uh-huh. Okay, I hate that line so much. Well, men can choose whether or not they want to be single, but women, you don't have really a choice. You know, you're basically, you're just going to choose who you want to be with. Like, men don't have that. No, men really kind of don't have that choice. The women's choice to do whatever she wants. If she wants to be an old spinster or and not be in a relationship or be in a relationship. Men, ugh, it doesn't matter which way they go. They can do either or. Like, what the fuck? And then there's all this bullshit about like, oh, I don't know. Scientists, can they ever be in love? 
can they ever do this? Like, and he's just like, bitch, you know what I want. I, I am telling you, you're very important to me. You know, this is short of Team America, him saying, I will never die. And then there's the montage of all the different sex positions that Helen and Cleet are going to go through that they're never going to show because this is in 1955. So there's all this, like, weird bullshit that's going on about love and their relationship. And I'm just like, why? Why is this even a part of this fucking movie? It started off really fucking promising because I'm like, great, they're back in the Amazon. They're going to capture him. And then it's going to be coming more about like, hey, you know, the shit that we're doing to him is kind of fucking him up. And then he's going to be all revengeful, which still might happen and probably is going to happen. But at the same time, why do I need this bullshit? Like, this is that, like, fucking gotta be ingrained into your head type of, like, 50s fucking mentality where you have to be in a relationship, you have to be happy, you have to have kids, especially if you're a woman, you're not fucking complete if you don't have fucking children. Like, this is the way that this movie is going, and it fucking drives me fucking crazy. So, of course, they meet up again, and she's supposed to be going into the water the next day to help him with something, and... Cleet is now worried that she's going to get, like, kidnapped by the Gill Man or something. You startled me. I'm sorry. You know, I, I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. The only one of his kind in the world. Well, he's like an orphan of time. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. You're going to the tank. It's risky. Too risky. I'd sleep better if you leave him to Joe and me. Well, haven't I been a help? That's not what I'm talking about. It's, well, it's just that he's so unpredictable. If anything were to happen... Oh, now, nothing's going to happen. Don't you think you're making a lot out of nothing? He's chained and you have the bull prod. Will you listen? You're only going to be here a short time. And using Joe might hold you up. So, she has a point. Like, he's only going to be there for so much longer. She actually knows what's going on. So, she's supposed to help him. At the same time, he's really worried that something bad could actually happen. And of course, she's like, nothing bad is going to happen at all. Don't worry about it. And what happens? The next day, something bad happens. See, they're playing with like a ball underwater. And Cleet actually gets uh, pretty impressed because he's able to understand what's going on when he's trying to get like get him to play with it. Like he does something, he tries to prod him. And he's like, no, okay. And he's like, wow, man, monkeys learn that slower than the gill man did. So of course he decides to send her out there one last time to go ahead and try the trick again. But instead of going after the ball, he goes after Helen and tries to swim on with her. Cleet is able to stop him, but they get in their own little kerfuffle this time. And Cleet is basically able to get free and distract the gill man long enough so that Helen can get to the surface. Once he gets to the surface, they think everything is fine, but under the water, the Gilman is actually able to break the chains that bind him and is able to come out towards the surface and start terrorizing everybody. He tries to kidnap Helen to no avail. He fights Joe and ultimately kills Joe inside the water. Again, Joe jumping down there to <laughs> help him. It's... Again, it's really funny when you watch Joe because he seems to be... There's only two things that he needs to be. One is he needs to be the cock blocker jock guy. And two, he needs to be the guy that jumps into the water. So he terrorizes the people there and he starts running to the ocean. You see the gill man toss over a car and then he's able to get the fuck out of there. It's actually hilarious because if you've ever seen those like little clips where he's like... 
you see the Gilman, he's destroying it, like, fuck this, and fuck that, and fuck this, and fuck you, and fuck this. Like, he basically kind of does that with the people, too. And he does try to attack, like, it seems like a little girl is about to be attacked, but ultimately, he doesn't attack little children and women, because, you know what, he wants that sweet, sweet human poon, so he's not gonna go after any humans that are out there. Uh, he does manage to, like I said, knock over the car, toss it, and then escape. And then we get the newsman letting everybody know that the Gillman is loose. It is four days since the Gillman escaped. Conflicting reports place the fearsome creature as far north as Norfolk, Virginia, and as far south as Panama. But most experts believe the monster is either dead or on its way back to the Amazon. Now, do you really think that he returned home? And it's been four days and nobody can find him, so I guess everybody kind of thinks that there's the possibility that he might not be in the area anymore. But instead of trying to protect themselves and maybe getting the fuck out of there, uh, Helen and Cleet are going for one last date. Only four days after Joe has died, by the way. Like, they don't really seem to give a shit when anybody fucking dies in this movie. And Joe is supposedly, like, her friend and kind of his friend, even though he's like a poonhound and... You know, he's not really... But he's won. He's got the girl now. You know, supposedly they're, like, engaged at this point. And it's only been weeks. Like, who jumps into something that fucking fast? Well, I guess these guys did. So we're finally set on the hotel where the two of them are staying. And we see that the Gill Man is still in the area. And he's been tracking down Helen. He comes out of the water. And then you get the really, like, kind of cool stalking, like, footage where you get in the persona of the Gilman, like you get in that first person perspective and you look in on everything that Helen is doing as she gets ready to go take a shower. Chris, of course, hears something outside and that's the dog, Chris, by the way. And he goes and he chases down the Gilman and you hear some yelping in the distance to which Cleet runs over to Helen's room because he thinks he hears a woman scream. And I obviously thought that I heard a woman scream too. But when he goes inside, she's just like, what? The- nothing happened. Nothing's wrong. Like, what the, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, I heard a woman scream too. Like, you're just a hella calm about these things. So, Cleet decides to go out and look for the dog. And he's unable to find him out there, but he has to reassure Helen that Cleet is, or Chris, is probably okay. Any sign of him? Uh-uh. Well, I wonder where he could be. Oh, don't worry about it. He's probably chasing a rabbit. He'll show up in the morning. Come on. I'm glad you're coming with me tomorrow. We can take a leisurely cruise up the river and have dinner in Jacksonville. My plane doesn't leave until midnight, so maybe we can go stepping for a couple of hours if you like. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Will you miss me? It'll be the longest three months. So they're going to go out on a cruise tomorrow, and then they're not going to see each other for another three months because he needs to go back and make money. He just can't be here studying the fucking... Gilman all this time even though wouldn't that make him some sort of money like if he came back and he had all this information like they'd send him on like paid leave or some shit like that I don't fucking know and then there's a pan here when they decide to fade away from the screen it pans over in the bushes and you see Chris he's fucking dead like there's the dead dog there's the fucking like blood all over the snout and everything like that and man that okay Chris ain't ever fucking coming back ever again from here, we go out on their cruise. They're going out into the Everglades, I guessed, or some type of water. And the Gillman is following them all the way out there. 
While out there on the water, the boat runs into some issues. Whether it's caused by the gillmen or not, I never really know. But they decide to take a dip in the water to where they go swimming around, all fun and nimbly-pimbly-like. And eventually, when they're trying to get back to the boat, something grabs her feet, which happens to be the gillman. And this is very reminiscent of the original creature from the Black Lagoon. But we don't get those cool, sweeping water shots like we got before. We kind of do. You see him swimming a little bit. But it's not like those beautiful underwater shots you get from the original creature. Like, those are absolutely fantastic. These are like 30 seconds and short. Not even 30 seconds long. Like, but again, we're kind of redoing some scenes from the first film because he's enamored with a different woman this time. And eventually she does, like, he does let go for a second. And she makes an offhanded comment to Cleet. Like, dude, you're just rude because you're grabbing onto me. You're acting like a freshman, even though you're a professor. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But they decide to go on uh, and continue on with their evening. And of course, like he said, since he has a couple hours to spare once uh, and his plane doesn't leave till midnight, once they get back, that let's go out dancing. So they do go out dancing. And before they leave for the night, there is a conversation between the two of them. And again, it's about love and how important love is. And I keep asking myself, what the fuck does this have to do with the Gill Man? Well, Prince Charming vanishes at midnight, and I won't see him for three long months. Maybe I can stretch a weekend. Might as well be broke the way I am. You know, scientists are funny. We probe and measure and dissect, invent lights without heat. Why, a caterpillar's eyebrow. But when it comes to really important things, we're as stupid as the caveman. Important? Mm-hmm. Like love. Makes the world go round, but what do we know about it? Is it a fact? Is it chemistry, electricity? Once when I had a crush on the captain of the high school football team, I looked it up in the dictionary. And love, according to Mr. Webster is a feeling of strong personal attachment induced by sympathetic understanding. <laughs> Have you ever heard such nonsense? I don't know. Some things should remain unknown. I think a poet once said, but love is such a mystery, I cannot find it out. But when I think I'm best resolved, I then am most in doubt. So, of course, once they go to kiss, who decides to show up but the Gillman? Because the Gillman is cock blocker number one, and he does fight off fucking Cleet and take Helen into the water. Cleet follows after, trying to find her, trying to make sure that he catches up with the Gillman, but he's unable to. And there's a really funny scene where they get to, like, a buoy, and she's, like, trying to climb to get out of the way. And you can obviously see the actor that's playing the Gillman push her up hunt the buoy like he helps her up and it's fucking hilarious uh we see a couple of police officers on the water they get notified that the gillman's in the area they eventually do pick up uh cleat out of the water but the gillman escapes with helen and she's officially kidnapped and loose in the jacksonville area the gillman is loose in jacksonville after kidnapping miss helen dobson a science student it is believed the monster may be on the prowl ready to attack others the police have requested us to advise all citizens to remain indoors until further notice. It is suggested that you keep all lights on, as the creature seems not to be able to stand bright light. 
And then we come to possibly my favorite part of this whole movie. Like, okay, so everything kind of in this second act is obviously worthless. Like, to me, personally. Like, I'm expecting it to be like the first one. And the first one didn't necessarily have all of this great action or whatever. It just had these beautiful shots. And it had this, like, connection to the creature that I absolutely loved. And you could tell what he was after and how he was so enamored with her. And that he just had to have her. And that was what his whole thing was. And I get it. Yeah, monster wants woman. Blah, 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 blah. You can say what you want. But it was just beautiful. Like, and that's why, like... Del Toro's The Shape of Water is just as beautiful to me as the original creature of the Black Lagoon is because it's not, that is like an interpretation if the creature was not the bad guy. The creature, obviously, it's like reversed, right? She falls in love with him before the creature kind of falls in love with her. Where the first one, you know, he was definitely in love with her, but she wanted nothing to do with him because he's an icky creature, and I can kind of understand that. But here... I just don't know what the fuck is happening here. During the whole middle part, it's more about the romance between fucking Cleet and Helen. Like how those two get together. The fact that she's a student, he's a professor. You know, so there's got to be some type of big age gap between the two of them. But who the fuck cares? They're able to get together and blah, 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 blah. So now we have the actual, like, chase type scenes, right? Where everybody's trying to find the creature... And they're trying to save Helen, and it's a little more interesting. But my favorite—I would—I'm gonna say this is hands down my favorite part of the movie because it's so ridiculous—is uh, that there's two college students, and they're driving down, and they're talking about how you know, hey, you know, why do I need to be in college, Dad? You didn't go to college, and you were fine. And the dude's like, No, dude, like you have to be in college because a high school diploma doesn't weigh as much as it used to. And I've been hearing that ever since I was a fucking kid. And it's amazing that since 55, they've been basically saying you college degree was going to carry farther than your high school degree, but that's not always the fucking case. So do what you need to do. Vocational schools are just as fine, too. Anyway, so they're talking about that and they see Helen's body on the beach. So they go over to approach it and the gill man just comes out of the middle of nowhere and he's like, what the fuck are you trying to do with my woman? And like fucking beats the hell out of the two. And I'm laughing just thinking about it. Um, and I'm going to put this up, uh, if I can, uh, uh, shortly after the podcast is released on my Twitter or the, at least the Instagram channel, I think will let me do it. Or maybe I'll turn it into a GIF so that way it can go up there on any of those pages. But oh my god, it's the funniest thing because he picks up one of the college students. <laughs> And it's just, it's obviously like a dummy on a swing, and it just flies across and boom, hits the tree. And it just does it in the right way that it's so goddamn funny. But the fact that he kills these two guys, of course, isn't that funny, but he does kill them. And that's when the police find the bodies, and they realize where the Gilman actually is. Two more. The report from Area 78 is incorrect. Got it? It is incorrect. The Gill Man has not been sighted in that area. He could be headed for Brazil by now. Yeah. The bodies of two men have been found on the banks of the St. John's River. Car 19 Investigate Bodies. Found near car. Below Point Diego. Could be him. Let's go. 
So to decide to go where the bodies are, and they actually find that the two college students are dead there, and then they find tracks to where the creature could have gone. They realize that he's probably outside of Port Diego, and that's where they all gather up. So there's a news program that happens that tells you exactly where they think the Gale Man to be, and then you get the last instructions that are going to be given by the cops and how to catch the Gale Man. And we also get a little bit of an emotional uh, cleat here, talking to them about, you know, Helen. But at the same time, it's really funny because he talks about how much he's in love with her. But at the same time, you know what? I don't want any of you guys to die. So let's take a listen. All emergency equipment is being mobilized at Point Diego, where the bodies of two students, victims of the Gill Man, were found. So far, there's been no trace of Miss Helen Dobson, the pretty young scientist kidnapped by the monster. Her fiancé, Professor Cleet Ferguson, is aiding in the search. The police department asked me to repeat this message. Civil defense trucks and floodlight equipment will report to Point Diego. All right, men, settle down and give me your attention. I want you to comb this beach and surrounding area carefully. But under no circumstances are any of you to investigate shrubbery, hoaxes, or other possible places of concealment unless you are accompanied by an armed guard. Now, the trucks will disperse in both directions and unload about a thousand yards apart. Uh, you men all have flashlights. I want you to check them right now to see whether they're in order or not. All right, come on, turn them on. Good. Now, if any of you spot the kill man, report to your group leader. He'll fire his very pistol, and the professor and I'll get there as soon as possible. May I say something to the men, Captain? Professor Ferguson would like to say something to you. I want to impress upon you once again something your captain said before. Don't take any chances. This is a thinking creature we're hunting. Wily, cruel, dangerous. As strong as any ten of you. Two men have already lost their lives tonight. A girl is missing. I want to find that girl alive more than anything else in the world. But I don't want a single one of you men to risk your life needlessly. Remember that this creature can't stay out of water for more than a few minutes. That limits our search to a narrow strip along the river. So please... Obey the captain's instructions to the letter. The moment you spot the Gill man, report it to your group leader. And he'll fire his very best. So he just wants to make sure that all these guys come back alive because they've killed a ton of people already. I mean, it's more people that I think got killed in this one that got killed in the first one. And the fact that, like, Joe, at the beginning of the film, he's like, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. He almost dies to the point that he actually dies it kind of sucks, but I think he kind of deserved it. And I'm still trying to figure out at this point in the film, what the fuck is the revenge? Like, what is the revenge about? Is the revenge because he's able to go actually go out and capture another woman after he couldn't capture a woman in the last movie? Like, is that what the revenge is? It's definitely, he's not getting revenge. Well, he kind of got revenge on Joe from bringing him to fucking Florida. And when he killed him, I could have sworn I heard him say, this is for fucking taking me to fucking Florida, you piece of shit. And, (laughs) but what else does he get revenge on? It just blows my mind. Anyway, so we see them out there and then some of the cops actually run upon Helen outside the ocean and see the gill men and he's starting to take her into the water. 
One of them notifies the guy that I guess with the variable gun or verify whatever the fuck of the gun that he has is. It's a flare fucking pistol. And he shoots a flare into the sky, which brings all the other cops and they tell basically wait until the professor shows up and let the professor do his thing. And so what does the professor do to stop the fucking creature? Why he has his little loudspeaker and he keeps yelling, stop. And eventually they take down the creature. Helen is rescued. And we get the end of the movie. Pardon me slowly. Don't make any sudden moves. Steady. Hold your fire! Steady. That's it. And so that was the revenge of the creature. Um, in general, the film is just okay. Uh, it's not like it has its moments. It has some really funny moments in it that weren't meant to be funny and probably were really shocking, especially when that kid hit that tree. That probably was really shocking back in 1955. Today, it just looks kind of crazy. I mean, it's kind of looking at like the original Dracula. And if you look at a Blu-ray transfer of some of those, especially on a 60 frames per second TV, it would look really ridiculous because you could see the strings and everything like that. I'm, I'm not faulting special effects. They just look funny nowadays. But honestly, back in the day, the fucking makeup for the Gill Man is fucking great. That suit, I love that fucking suit. But again... Where is the revenge? There is no revenge on anybody in this film. There's no revenge except for Joe. Joe is the only person that gets any revenge. But there's no revenge on Lucas, the original professor, and his little main squeeze. He already killed the other guy. Um, he's getting revenge for being brought into Florida. Is that it? Like, he doesn't even do that. Even when he goes on a rampage at the, like, SeaWorld-like place, he really doesn't do anything. He maybe flips over a car and escapes into the ocean. But he doesn't get revenge for anything. It should have just been the creature from, like, the Florida retirement home or some shit like that. Like, there was nothing else that he really did. It was all just this, like, romance movie and this dumb romance movie. I've seen a lot of really cool old-school romantic movies, romantic dramas, that are great. But here we have this really shitty, like, fuck, a professor and his student fall in love. And again, nobody thinks anything different about this. And I guess she's like a student of the school or something, and maybe she's graduating in three months of course, she's a master's student, so maybe it doesn't look as frowned upon or whatever. It's not like she's a fucking undergrad or any of that type of shit. Like, she's a freshman, and here comes in Professor Touchy McFeely that's going to go in there and fucking make sure that she loves fish as much as he does. But it just feels like it's ridiculous. 
Like, we had to tack all these things on to figure out how to get her in a bikini and how to do these romantic, like, scenes and all. It's just, I don't know. I, I That part I really did not like. And it really detracts from a lot of really cool stuff that they could have done with the film. And it definitely feels like a cash grab after how beautiful the first film is and how popular that film turned out to be to have this one. Of course, this was popular enough to spawn a third film, but... We will talk about that, I'm sure, at some time later on. So overall, what do I give this film? Well, for Gore, it's a 0 out of 5. It's fucking 1955. There's nothing much going on, except for a guy flying at a tree, but there's nothing really gory about it. He just kind of hits the tree. Uh, for the crap factor, I'm going to give it a 3 out of a 5. It's really because of the love story that's involved. It doesn't need to be in the fucking Gilman movie. Just leave it alone. And they could have done something totally different, where maybe he... They, you know, it followed them out after it survived and they went to the camp and he actually got revenge on them and then, or he hid on the boat and then he's now traveled across the world and he's now terrorizing them over in fucking, you know, any place but fucking Florida. You know, it, it could have done that, but instead they went with this, which was just wrong. The fun factor, I'm also going to give it a three out of five. It's still fun in moments. It's still got cheesy fifties charm. You know, and I still love the Gilman. And the underwater shots, when they do have them, they're great. But I wish there was something similar to the last film and how beautiful that was. The water and everything. It really made the film what it was. Not just a creature film, but a fucking work of art. Where this, this is just some stupid fucking drama with the Gilman fucking dropped into it. So overall, I'm going to give this film uh three flying bodies out of five. Like, I think it's still worth a watch if you've never seen it before, and seeing it for the first time is totally worth it. But past that, it's gonna, your mileage is gonna vary for however you decide to see this film. You know, eh, check it out, or don't, it's all up to you. Uh, but I think it's just kind of a mediocre run-of-the-mill movie, so... With that being said, I want to thank everybody for taking their time to listen to this podcast as well as listen to the other Universal Monster podcasts. And if you didn't get a chance to check out uh, episodes from Paranormal Pativity, Back in Time Podcast, Fright Club, Black Cat Shadow, or the B-Movie Bros, make sure to check the show notes and you'll have links to all of those episodes directly within this episode. So I want to thank also Phantom Dark Dave for taking his time to get us all together to put these lovely episodes together. Well, he didn't put them together, but to get us to all do these episodes. Because it's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun talking about the creature, both in the first one and in this one. So without further ado, I thank you for listening to the Terrible Terror Podcast, and we'll definitely be seeing you next time on a full episode. Uh, and I hope that you guys have uh, a wonderful week, I guess. So, ta-ta for now. See you later. <laughs>